You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I was put out there and I was punched in the nose and then asked to win a beauty contest. And that's basically what they did. They took my child away and then said, act normal. Surrogate mother Mary Beth Whitehead. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. surrogate parenting has become rather commonplace now in America and other countries. It's a way for childless couples to become parents by enlisting the aid of a surrogate mother. But as recently as the late 1980s, no American court had actually ruled on the legal validity of surrogate motherhood arrangements. That is, until the Baby M case in New Jersey in the late 1980s. A woman named Mary Beth Whitehead answered a newspaper ad in 1984, an ad placed by Bill and Elizabeth Stern looking for a woman willing to be a surrogate mother. Whitehead agreed to be artificially inseminated by Bill Stern, carry the baby to term, and then hand it over to Bill and Elizabeth Stern. The trouble began when Whitehead decided, after the baby was born, to keep the child. A long legal battle ensued. Ultimately, the Stearns were awarded legal custody. The child in question, a little girl, became known in the court records as Baby M. In 1989, Mary Beth Whitehead wrote a book telling her side of the story. That's when I met her. So here now from 1989, surrogate mother Mary Beth Whitehead. I think my lawyer put it well one time, and I will requote him. He said, I was put out there, and I was, you know, punched in the nose, and then asked to want to win a beauty contest. And that's basically what they did. They took my child away and then said, act normal. I think if people had seen me with this child, you know, I, I think that a lot of people don't realize that I had this child for four and a half months. And I had ongoing contact with her for the entire two years of the ordeal. It wouldn't have been good for me to walk away. You know, we had experts that uh, came in because there was many moments that I wanted to. You know, plus people didn't realize that this wasn't just one child in this story. There was two others. And they were brothers and sisters. And for some reason, they got shoved under the rug. And I think that people just didn't realize that, yes, I did act off the wall. I was running in circles, and, and, but I am not a two-headed monster. I am a good mother, and I really think that the book will help my children who are out there in the public eye, and Melissa, that when people come up and, and say to her, uh, or my children now, your mother's a nut, I'm trying to educate people. I'm trying to give people the um, opportunity to read this book and then form an opinion and then make a judgment. But people have made judgments on me without ever even knowing the facts. They have no idea what went on, how it went on. And, you know, if this happened to me, this can happen to any mother in the United States. And, you know, the whole surrogacy issue, yes, I think it should be outlawed. And I think that the book will help people who are thinking of entering into this contract, um, couple, mother, that maybe it'll save one person from doing what I have done. And then I feel that me tromping 22 cities <laughs> and being away from my family, and you know, except for weekends, then I think that everything that I'm doing will be well worth it. Did you not consider keeping Melissa until... Tuesday, 
asked you, uh, 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 she made, I, and I'm afraid I, I can't remember to paraphrase the comment, but. I, <laughs> she, um, no, I think I was about eight months pregnant at the time. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, I had made a promise, and I really, people may not think so, but I am a person of my word. So when I was starting to feel some kind of maternal feeling towards the end of the pregnancy, it was something I didn't, you know, kind of verbalize. But when I was about eight months pregnant, Tuesday was making fun of how large I was. They used to call me the refrigerator. And so I said to her, you know, keep on laughing. I said, but one day you're going to be the same way. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm going to hire somebody like you. At that particular time, I knew what I was doing had to be wrong, that my child, I tried to talk her out. You know, and I said, Tuesday, that's not why I'm doing this and, you know, that kind of a thing. At that point, I waited till I delivered the baby. And being the kind of person I was, I really did not know how to tell the Stearns that I wanted to keep this baby. It was painful. But when Tuesday came to the hospital and said to me, Mom, please don't sell my sister, that was the actual you know, real, I think at 10 years old, she had more going for her than every adult involved. And, you know, people said that I exploited her. She's really the most spectacular little girl that you would ever want to meet. At the present time, she's 13, and sometimes uh, even I cannot believe she's only 13 years old. She's really, really amazing. It's difficult to read your book without, if you're a parent anyway, it's difficult to read your book without being terribly moved. Uh, I think most people have, have, that have read the book have said that I'm not looking for public sympathy. I, I don't want that. We all made mistakes. I made the biggest one of my life, and I pay for it every single day, and I know I will pay for the rest of my life. Uh, Bill Stern also made mistakes, the judge, the lawyers, but I really feel that this is not something that should go on, and I really hope that the book will help people see that. Judge really comes across as a, a rather vicious character in this book, doesn't he? Well, I think basically what the judge did, I mean, it's in the book exactly what um, he did, and it, it's pretty clear that he was very biased. But I think what happened is it all stemmed from the May 5th order that he granted Bill Stern. Um, that was the crust of the entire ordeal. He made a mistake and then couldn't own up to it and then had to justify to the world that I didn't make a mistake. This woman was a nut before I took her baby away. So therefore, he had to make me look that way. And he had the media to help him. He was absolutely horrible. And I'm not going to pass judgment on him like he did on me. And I think that he, from what I understand, has put in for a retirement. So maybe he has finally come to grips that he did make a mistake. But, hey, what kind of nut are you anyway? You don't know how to play patty cake. You don't oh, care. That... You, brought th- you, you're a, you, you brought them pandas. <laughs> you must be a nut. That's, the I think, the funniest part of the trial. Um, I knew at that point that I couldn't really take a whole lot to heart because it was definitely an off-the-wall statement. Um, because I dye my hair, I was narcissistic. Betsy Stern bought pots and pans. I brought panda bears. And the reason I bought those panda bears, which I don't think was ever really heard is that 
a part of the proceeds went to the wildlife, <laughs> save the panda. And I thought, well, you know, maybe if I did something kind, I would have some kind of relationship with my child. So, I mean, I I brought her the bears because um, I didn't know what else to get her. She was eight months old and, you know, she, I, I was certainly, she wasn't in my house. Naturally, she probably would have played with the pot and pan cabinet if she was in my home. But I was certainly, can you imagine if I brought pots and pans? And then the patty cake thing is just, I think, the funniest part of the trial. I still play patty cake wrong with my 10-month-old baby. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of mothers, when they ask me, how do you play patty cake? Because I think they think it's off the wall. They, they look at me and go, I play it the same way. So I don't know who's wrong. I'm not passing judgment. on that. They were just looking. They were what um, the legal system call hire hitmen. And, you know, they were paid to make me look bad. And they did. And people have kind of torn those um, reports apart. And all the things that they said about me, you know, Bill Stern had just as much fault, but they covered it up. They would mention it, but they didn't go into any detail of why he had these faults. So, you know, basically that's all they were. Unfortunately, I've had to pay them also because I was mandated by the court to pay those people. And, uh, you know, I don't know why. You know, I guess... If you have the money, you can get somebody to say whatever you know you want them to say. That's and that is something else that's very troubling about this whole story is that somehow, even though nobody nobody comes right out and says it, it still boiled down to whether the baby should go with this well-to-do white-collar affluent couple who can afford to have a child and give her the best of everything. That's a little bit of a misconception. I, um, but that's the conception people have. I know. That's the, the other reason I wrote the book. Bill and Betsy Stern are, you know, not by any means poor. Um, I was not by any means poor either. Um, th- there are cases that that does go on. Um, for me, that was not, you know, my personal experience with it. Uh, Bill and Betsy are still not rich, and um, I'm still not rich either. I have a new marriage, and financially, I I do very well at the present time. But at the time of trial, my husband was a garbage man. They the media blew that way out of proportion. Rick made probably more than a lot of people make as a garbage man, and you know we were he was union, and we had benefits of all kind, and he had been at the job eight years. So that was really kind of something that wasn't too fair. We did have financial problems in the beginning of our marriage, but it was basically because I was so young. I had two babies. And Rick at the time, his his drinking was probably the worst at the early part of our marriage, but he had even had that under control at the time. Unfortunately, after the whole year, you know, because of his weakness to alcohol, a lot of it, you know, you put somebody through a stress test and some people don't pass as as well as others. And I think that basically, you know, Rick and I just, we kind of grew apart, if you can understand that. And the year, uh, I was not the Mary Beth that he had married and he was not the Rick that I had married. And I still care very deeply for him and I share two children and he always will be very special to me. After this short break, Mary Beth Whitehead explains why she even answered that newspaper ad in the first place. Now back to my 1989 interview with surrogate mother Mary Beth Whitehead. It's so tragic that something like this has to have that effect, that it breaks everybody, just puts, puts everybody into their own little camp. Well, I, I don't think the Stearns realized it either, being that they didn't have a child, they didn't really have any extended family. He went to court not thinking 
of what this was going to do to a lot of innocent people. Um, you know, it's a mistake that Bill Stern won. I think that a lot of people think I went to court, that it wasn't my egg, that I took the money, which all three of those things are not true. So I think that, you know, people really, all I'm saying is, you know, just give me a chance, hear me out. I'm not trying to exploit this child in any way. I'm really not trying to exploit my other children in any way. I just, unfortunately, have become a spokesperson for surrogacy. There was no Mary Beth Whiteheads when I entered into it, and I wish there was, because I probably wouldn't be here today, you know, to tell me the bad. Why did you answer that ad back in 84? I was I was really committed. I really thought it was a wonderful, beautiful thing. I have a few friends that are infertile, a sister that's infertile. Um, I really thought that this was a way for us to bring children into this world. And I didn't realize until I had two feet into it that children are gifts from God and nobody has the right to, to play with, with Mother Nature. Um, I'm real sorry that I've done it, and I tried to write it, and I exhausted every avenue that I could possibly think of, and lots of roadblocks were put up in my way. But uh, I think people didn't realize, and I certainly didn't either, the terms of that contract were just absolutely horrendous. So, therefore, it was not anything that the Stearns gave any thought to, that I gave any thought to. We met... They thought I was wonderful for having this child. I thought that it was wonderful that I was able to do this. And when it came down to actually having to do it, it was their lawyer who took the contract and tried to have it enforced. They used that contract to take my child, and possession in most states is nine-tenths of the law. The longer they had her, the better chance they had of keeping her because they knew I wasn't an unfit mother. They knew that they would never be able to get custody without that contract. All that contract did was give him time, and buy, he, it really bought him time because he had her for two years by the time I was able to, to overturn it in the Supreme Court. At the terms of the contract were, they're very, very sick, and believe me, if I had read it, they wouldn't have been in that contract. What amount of baby selling, didn't it? There's no doubt. Uh, the only one it protected was Bill Stern. It did not protect me or my child. He had the right to demand an abortion during the entire nine months. He had the right to pay $1,000 for a defective product, which would have been the child. And I think it was written out, a dead baby. Uh, I think that even at the end, uh, he had the right not to take the child. If for any reason she was handicapped, if for any, he didn't like the color of her hair, he could have walked away, and it, he wouldn't have been breaching the contract. He also signed a separate contract that I wasn't aware of until the time of trial that said that Noel Keene, who is the baby broker in all of this, had um, no responsibility. He would not get his money back if I did not give up the child, and there was no court in the world that would be able to make me. He just, you know, I guess he just kind of lucked out in being able to do what he did. But he, he's not that bad, and, and don't misunderstand me. He was also functioning on emotions, and I think that he also has realized that he's made a lot of mistakes. So what it's come down to is that it's a typical divorce situation and that uh, I have liberal visitation. I, I see her. I have overnights. I have summer visits. And um, it's important for her to know her mother. And I thank God that the Supreme Court, in their wisdom, 
took the time and decided what was best for all parties because people don't realize this this was too public the child was would never be able to live a normal life and i am going to be able to help the child work through the problems that she may feel about her father taking her from her mother and you know people say i was so selfish it would have been easier for me to walk away than to go through what i went through it's just a couple of weeks till her birthday is is that a difficult time for you um, not really. The only thing that brings up memory is when, uh, that was when Harvey Sorkel terminated my rights and I, her first birthday, and he was really, really cruel. He had me drive in a car, practically blindfolded, not knowing where I would go. I didn't know where I would visit her for her birthday. They ended up having the birthday party at the Guardian at Latham's house, who from the very beginning made it clear how she felt about me and when I got there it was happened to be the last time that Harvey Sorkel felt that I should see her it was one last dig thorn in Mary Beth Whitehead's side he allowed my children to come it was like a farewell party not a birthday party but it does have a happy ending in a way doesn't it yes it does um this, this isn't a tragic story not at the end not at the end she's alive she's vivacious and, and you know where she is. You get exactly. to see her. There, it's you know, as a mother, it's not easy because I really don't know a whole lot about the Stearns. They are strangers to me. This is not a man that I had an, a relationship with that I was in love with. So it's very hard, you know, when you have a divorce and you have to leave your child behind. It's um, something that you can say, well, but he does love her, and Betsy Stern loves her too. And I, I think that we will because we all love her so much that we'll be able to, to work out an awful lot of the problems. But uh, I think the only thing that really bothered me is that um, in my eyes when she was four and a half months old, she was, you know, taken. She was kidnapped. And I think that if anybody had their child taken and then after two years you found them, nobody would say to you, sorry, she bonded to the kidnappers. And so that was the only thing that I really had to come to grips with. But I realized that it's best for her to, I don't want to do to her what was done to her at four and a half months old ever again. She knows her room. She knows her bed. And as she gets older, she'll she'll pull all the pieces together because I, I really think that, I don't think she's going to have any problems. I hope I don't have to eat these words, but she really is a strong tough little girl and people do not give four and a half month old babies enough credit she has never forgotten who her mother is and it's truly amazing because i wouldn't believe it if i didn't see it with my own eyes she definitely has a sense of who i am in 2004 baby m melissa stern turned 18 and she legally terminated mary beth whitehead's parental rights now, you can find easy Amazon links to Mary Beth Whitehead's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, listen to my 1993 interview with another couple who went through a very public child custody battle, Jan and Robbie DeBoer. I will continue to advocate for the children out there that are torn away from the only homes that they've ever known. They should not have to lose their entire lives due to the heirs of um, the adults around them. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, my 1990 interview with an author whose novel about cloning dinosaurs with DNA caught in amber became a 
little bit of a successful movie, my 1990 interview with Jurassic Park author Michael Crichton. Some characters I'm very eager to get killed off, and I and I enjoy their deaths a lot, you know. Um, and and from time to time you'll kill somebody, and then you'll read it later and you think, no, it wasn't bad enough, and you go <laughs> go back and give them a worse death. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.